Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Solomon Eseme. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Solomon Eseme from Nigeria. I'm excited to be here with Eric. And Luke Diebold. Hello, from Australia. And special guest this week is Eric Simons. Welcome, Eric. Hey, how's it going? Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. Eric, would you mind introducing yourself for those who might not have heard of you yet? Yeah, yeah, I imagine probably most haven't. So I'm, I'm the, the co-founder of StackBlitz, and we're, our team's actually pretty large at this point. I mean, large compared to a couple of years ago. We're at like 14 people now. But StackBlitz is like a, a web IDE where you can go and start web applications super fast. And uh, kind of the key thing with StackBlitz that's separate, you know, like there's a lot of these online IDE things out there these days. What's unique about StackBlitz is that we actually run all of, like when you open up the developer environment, it's all running inside of your browser. So it's not using a server in the cloud. So it's, it, you don't have to be connected to the internet even for it to work. It works offline as a PWA, but it's like ludicrously fast and it's super secure. And so it's a very popular way to, to start view or Nuxt apps and create live examples and issue reproductions or, you know, go from idea to production in a couple of clicks. Awesome. Thank you. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire, they're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. So just for comparison, it's something along the lines of the next next evolution of something like JS Fiddle or Code Sandbox or Code Pen. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, it's it's like that. Yeah, it's, it's I think that's a, that's a good way of thinking about it. Is it's in a sense, it's it's kind of like those things have evolved over the years, right? Because like the idea of having an online IDE is not a a new idea per se. So back, you know, I don't know, in the like early 2010s, Cloud Nine came out, and they were like entirely a server based thing. Uh, but the problem is it wasn't good for web development because there's a lot of latency when you're running the code on a server and you're trying to preview your app. It's like super slow. And but uh, CodePen and JS Fiddle and uh, Code Sandbox, uh, partially there at least, they, they figured out if you use the browser to do the compute work, it's a lot faster, but it's really limited in functionality. And uh, so Stackbus kind of takes that to the, uh, to the next level where we've actually written an operating system in WebAssembly that runs inside of your browser. So it's kind of marrying like the benefits of having a cloud IDE, except with all of the benefits that you want, being able to run like your own local environment, right? Because it's super fast, it runs on your machine, et cetera, et cetera. All right. So just just to make sure I'm understanding, because this, I, I read the blog post, I've been listening to you talk at other podcasts, I'm really excited about this. I'm When I start up StackBlitz and I create a, a Nuxt application, for example, since that was one of your examples, I am basically starting the IDE, I am starting an operating system, and I am starting the, the actual process to run Nuxt all within my browser. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. You, so that you're, we've essentially figured out right away to run all of Node.js natively in your browser. 
which is, and the way we did that is we have this WebAssembly operating system that Node.js uh, mounts on top of, and it's like ludicrously fast. So when you go to, if you go to stackbooks.com right now, you don't have to log in because it, you know, it's, it doesn't cost us anything to, to run the service effectively. We have a couple million people a month who use it. We pay like a thousand bucks on the server bill or something, right? But like, you can go there, you can you know, start a new project, whether it's like Node.js, Next, Nux, whatever have you. Within a couple hundred milliseconds, there is a full operating system, WebAssembly-based operating system that's booted in your browser and is starting off that Node.js process to begin running your Nux.js application, right? All entirely inside of the browser security sandbox. So it's like incredibly fast, super secure, way more secure than even like your local environment. And even like from an execution speed standpoint, it's up to 20% faster than at executing Node.js programs than even like your local Node binary is, which is like kind of mind-bending. It's like, how is that even possible, right? Right. Um, but it's it's uh, it's the browsers uh, you know, for decades have been optimized for speed and security. And so by running all the stuff in the browser, you get to take advantage of all of the innovations that Google and Microsoft and these other you know browser vendors have uh, invested in. Right. One of the big as one one of the large aspects of running things in the browser is that you've got that sandboxed environment because browsers aren't allowed to reach out to your file system. They aren't allowed to arbitrarily download code outside of their own little uh, sandbox. So that, that makes a lot of sense, especially for a, for a Node application. One of the main vectors of attack using Node is NPM, just developers downloading bad packages by mistake. And by, by just sandboxing that in the, in the browser, that eliminates pretty much the entire attack vector, I would imagine. It does. Yeah, it does. And so there's actually, there, it even goes like, so our specific environment that we've uh, you know created, like the web, it's called, we call these things web containers. So web container includes a built-in uh, NPM uh, package manager client, right? And it actually is the first NPM client that solves this five-year-old bug that Sam Sacconi over at Google discovered where uh, it's essentially that it's a worm vector in NPM that is still there to this day in Yarn and, and the NPM clients where essentially when you download NPM packages, they can define post install scripts and which essentially allow you can execute any command on the user's machine, absolutely anything with, you know, kind of full access, right? And so the, the worm goes like this, where I'm sure there are folks here that are listening that maintain open source packages. So you get a bug repo. Someone says, hey, download this repo, install, and so you can repro the bug. Except that that repro has a package in it when it installs executed supposed install and script. And what that code does is checks all of the packages that you've published to NPM and then republishes minor versions, including the worm in it, so that anyone who goes and downloads your package, because it's a minor, anytime you just hit you know NPM install fresh, it's going to pull the latest minor. It's going to download your computer, execute during the installation step, search all of your packages, and then republish minors for everything that you own. So it's this worm that just can propagate rapidly throughout the ecosystem. And this has been unaddressed by the NPM said, oh, we have two-factor authentication, but like it's not, they don't actually solve kind of the root problem of it. And so Stackblitz's NPM client the, in, in web container is actually the first thing that actually solves this where it does not execute post-install scripts by default during the installation process. And so, and so we're, you know, Sam Sacconi has gone on the record saying, hey, this is actually the first technology that that actually solves uh, my CVE that I that's been open for five years now, right? And even if it does, if it were to post install it, your point stands, which is that the second layer of security here is that it's going to be executing inside of the browser sandbox, and and, and we block outbound publishing without uh, explicit user intent, unlike your local machine where it'll just you know you can just go and take the credentials and run with it, right? So there's 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 actually multiple layers of security that when you kind of own the entire containerization layer, you can do some pretty crazy stuff 
as far as actually creating like environments that are secure by default. So anyways, I'll stop kind of nerding out about, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox here, but like this is, I think this is actually a huge problem though, right? Not just for open source maintainers, but Stackblitz's business is actually selling to fortune 100, 1000 companies because the developers of those companies have huge targets on their back right now. Because if you've looked at like solar winds and these other supply chain attacks that are happening, this is the attack vector. They're slipping in dependencies that because when you install a normal uh, Node.js tool chain or whatever, you're pulling in thousands of dependencies. So it's really easy for stuff to slip through the cracks. You get something in through, you know, you slide it in and now you got a supply chain attack that's going to go and like, you know, leak all the company's data or like whatever, right? So this is actually a pretty important thing, you know, for both open source maintainers and the the companies that are kind of powering the fabric of our society right now. Yeah, I previously worked at a at an enterprise company and a lot of time went into evaluating packages, evaluating dependencies. Is this something that's secure? Is this something we should replace? There was there was a huge focus on making sure everything was as secure as possible. But you're right. There's things that can slip through the cracks, especially in my opinion, especially in the JavaScript environment where we have NPM, where we have this, like you're saying, the post install bug, as well as others that we've seen time and again, unfortunately. I really, side tangent a little bit, I really appreciated how Deno approached it and tried to sandbox things. And I think this is another great way to sandbox everything and just kind of fix that problem that's inherent with Node and NPM. Yeah, and it's like a tough problem, right? Because I think you know, there's a lot of work being done on making uh, on making developer environments or in developer tool chains that are secure by default, right? And so like, there's this organization called the Bytecode Alliance that uh, you might've heard of them. They, they create the WebAssembly standard interface and a whole bunch of other things. And Stackblitz has actually joined uh, the Bytecode Alliance now with uh, uh, Fastly and Arm and Google and Microsoft, a whole bunch of other people. But the idea is that the world, you know, kind of the, the, the Bytecode Alliance's vision is that, and, and we share this vision, is that the world's binaries and, you know, kind of runtime computing needs to flip over to WebAssembly by default because it really provides a, a much more secure primitive by default for these things, right? And, and things like Dino are great as well. The, the tricky thing, and this is, this is like, you know, when, as we've, Stackblitz is actually very much a security company. And so as we've really gone and, and learned a lot about this market, you know, create solutions that are secure, it, there's there's kind of two ways to to look at security and both you you have to look at both one is building on really good foundations like using WebAssembly and like what Dino's doing you're building good foundations that are that are going to be provide a more secure architecture right but the flip side of it is also having really 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 sophisticated robust testing right against against you know your uh, uh, against your infrastructure that that you've built on on good foundations, and this is that's actually the hardest part. Is it's actually there's a lot of great things with great architectures, but if you don't have a lot of testing, and even you can invest a good amount in testing, but it but if you're going up against nation states, which that's that's what we're talking about when we talk about solar winds. It's not like some some person in their basement did this. No, this is this was like Russia, right? Like you know they've got tons of people you know focused on this stuff. You actually really have to be playing at a pretty high level. So that's the benefit, right, of, of browsers is that Google, for example, invests billions of dollars into making Chrome the most secure runtime on the planet. Like as we're sitting here, they've got 15,000 cores fuzzing that code base 24-7, seven days a week, right? And, and so that's a, actually a really huge part of this is that it's uh, part of it is having great architectural principles that you're building on. But the other part is, is you, you kind of, you, you got to be playing at that level, right? If, you, if you're talking about switching the world software over to something. And so kind of our view on it is like browsers are that, right? Like browsers have become the operating system. And I think 
more ways in which we can run stuff in a browser is like very ideal because it's a it's a very well tested, perhaps the most well tested runtime from a security standpoint ever created by humans. You know, so anyways, but it's, it's security is a very interesting thing because it's this multifaceted kind of beast. So I want to take a slight detour before we keep going because I feel like we're going to start drifting into view talk in regards to stackblitz. This seems like a very complex. I mean, to to quote the old Microsoft thing, it's a very complex computer science problem uh, that you guys have been able to to tackle. I'm just curious, how did you, first off, how did you come into to software development and how did you come to found StackBlitz in the first place? What what brought you to that point? That's a that's a good question. Um, <laughs> it's been so long. So I, I it's uh, I think it all started. So my my co-founder Albert Pye, he and I actually were we met each other because we we grew up down the street from each other in a suburb of Chicago, and uh, and this is back in uh, you know the two thousands, like mid mid two thousands or so, early two thousands, something like that. And he and I were both very interested in computers, and we would build computers and stuff. And and um, you know we wanted to learn how to write software. And back then, like you know today, there's all the amazing resources online to learn how to code. But like back then, there was not that. And so what we ended up doing is you know we went to the library and they had like books on you know how to write like COBOL or you know something like that right just like totally not not what we're looking we're like how do we build a website and uh, so the option you know the option with them was like to buy these books and they're like you know 100 bucks but like pretty expensive so we were we went to our parents on our like 13th birthdays and we're like hey no i don't want an xbox I, for my birthday i want i want this book right because that's how much it costs and they're like are you sure and like yeah and so, so he and i learned how to code together it was like a really, you know, as everyone here, like setting it, like the, the first step in learning how to code is like setting up your environment. And if you've never coded before and you don't, and you don't have access to people who are, who do this for a living, it's pretty daunting. It's like the worst part, right. Of learning. So most people, I think, churn out at that phase. Cause they're like, what is this? You know, like, what is all this stuff? And then stuff breaks because it never works. It's very unreliable, not consistent. And, but we, he and I, because he and I had each other, we, we, we were able to kind of plow through it together and built websites. And so after that, we, we came out to Silicon Valley and we uh, uh, created a couple of companies. And, and so the one that led up to Stackwitz actually was we were teaching people how to do full stack web development. And uh, it was kind of a, a callback to how we got started. We, we wanted to create really great resources where someone who could actually come to our site and learn how to build actual production grade software to, to the point where they could start a company or get a job or whatever have you. And in the process of building that company, we had a, you know maybe 100, 200,000 people at the peak that were using the service every month. The biggest problem we had was was you know folks were learning this stuff. were like, hey, I'm trying to learn Vue, but my it says Vue says I'm out of file watchers. Vue is broken. And we're like that is not Vue, right? Like it's not Vue. It's like that's just like some arbitrary thing in your environment that is broken that is preventing you from learning the actual thing you're trying to learn, right? And and so that's when we had this realization of like well, wait a second, why can't we just run the view CLI inside of a browser itself, right? Like, like it's, these things are written in JavaScript for the most part, these build tools like Webpack or whatever. What's stopping us from just using the browser so that at least when people are learning this stuff, they don't have to set it up locally. They can learn view and then go learn how to deal with the, the, the curmudgeon crap that is local developer environments, right? So that was kind of the key insight that led us to start StackBlitz. And then what ended up happening is we built Stackwitz. We spent six months. You know, I, 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 I'll pause for a sec. That's not like a, a bonkers idea at the time, right? It's like Webpack in a browser. Could it work? Probably not. And so, but Albert and I have always been suckers for a good challenge. And so we gave it a shot, spent six months on the thing and got it to work, launched it as Stackblitz. And it kind of from day one, it took off like a rocket. And so we were like, well, what do we do here? We've got this learning platform. We've got this thing that's just 
kind of growing beyond our controls. We ended up selling uh, our company Thinkster, the education platform, and you know, focus full time on on Stackblitz. So that's that's kind of the that's kind of the story. So basically, we're kind of Stackblitz is the solution to the problem that we had 15 years ago when we were learning how to code for the first time. And so the next step is we got to invent a, a time machine to kind of take us back so we can use Stackblitz to learn how to code and start our future company so that we don't have to do it. <laughs> I think you guys have done an amazing job of that. Like having, I've got very little knowledge of the technology behind the scenes. So I wish I had some like bigger, deeper questions, but like just going to stackblitz.com and opening up view and being inside of that IDE environment. It's the first time I've been in an IDE in the browser and thought this actually feels like an IDE. It's like, it's just so buttery smooth. It honestly, it is faster than running VS code on my computer. It, at least it feels faster than running VS Code on my computer. And just little things like the linter working so quickly, pressing enter and there not being a lag as it creates a new line, you know, little things like that. It's just, I feel like it just makes all of the difference where you can start, even as someone who's been developing for a while now, I'm finding myself that instead of starting a new view project in saying like, well, I, I use Quasar. So rather than, you know, creating a new Quasar project and then playing around with view in that, I will just open up StackBlitz and click on that view button. And I have a dev environment ready to go in seconds. Like anybody listening to this, you, you have to try to believe it. It really is quite mind bending just how quickly it is and how fast you can start just playing around with this stuff. Like it's amazing. I think you guys have done a phenomenal job. Thanks. Yeah. It's great to hear you say that because that's actually exactly what we've optimized. Like our, we, we often say internally, like the number one feature of Stackblitz is speed. So literally everything about the experience is designed to be like instant, right? And, and, it, and it's like, uh, that, that might sound like kind of marketing crap, but, it, but it's actually, we take it really seriously. Where when you like click the link, you know, on that mouse down event, we're already starting up that, that operating system that's going to be booting in the browser, right? Before you even navigate to the thing. And I mean, even the technical architecture, like what you said, like it's faster than VS Code locally, you're absolutely right. And that's because we actually have a huge advantage where, so on local in your local dev environments, right? You have like VS Code running, you've got your browser where you're previewing, you know, your, your view app. And then you've got your terminal that's running Node.js and, and running like the Vue CLI or Nuxt or whatever have you, right? So in that scenario, you actually have, you have effectively two versions of Chrome. You have VS Code, which is Electron. So it's got a whole copy of Chrome in that thing. You've got Chrome previewing your app. And then you've got Node, which has pulled V8 out of Chrome and is running dozen copies of those during your dev process, right? But the key thing here is there's actually a huge amount of inefficiency. All of them have something in common. They're all using V8, Right but they are running separate copies of V8 for what there's one for VS Code or multiple for VS Code. There's one for Chrome and there's dozens for Node. And so with Stackblitz, the reason we're able to squeeze out so much performance is that we there's a singularity that's now happened where we're using one copy of V8 and it's the one that's in your browser. That copy of V8 is powering the VS Code editing experience in Stackblitz. That copy of V8 is also powering the preview of your view app that's coming out of the service worker uh, dev server. And it's also running all of the Node.js processes as well with one copy of V8. So there's a huge amount of overhead that gets completely blown out that on local environments, these are all separate, disparate things. And that, I mean, that was an, just an unbelievable, it took two years for us to, to build that, that piece of technology to be able to do that, right? But that's like the commitment that we have to like to speed because we think that our, our thesis at least is when you're when you're a developer, like what what makes you more productive? 
Well, it's like, how fast can I get my ideas into my fingertips, into this keyboard and get a result from the computer, right? So everything that we do is that's kind of the critical path that we try and optimize. So it is awesome to hear you say, you're like, what, exactly what you just said is exactly what, what we want people to, to, to be able to experience when they use the product. Hey, give us a startup with Quasar and then we'll be even more excited. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's that's awesome. Oh, I kind of had a question on the back of that, and I might be going into a deep pool that I'm completely not going to understand now. But you were saying that uh, Node has to will will be running um several copies of V8. Why does it have to do that? But if you're running Node in the Stackblitz browser, why don't you have to do that then? Does yeah, that make great. Sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Really good question. So every time you spin up a Node.js process. Node.js, has, you have to initialize the Node.js binary from scratch, from the ground up, which includes a copy of V8, right? And so that's so on local, that's why, you know, for every process you add that you are, you are spinning up a separate copy of V8 where, so, and then an important concept to be aware of here is like the way, like in your browser, when you open a browser tab, the reason it is really fast, just like crack open the browser tab and like be able to go to a website is uh, in, in the Chrome equivalent, it's V8 isolates. They are that you can kind of think of them like they're akin to like what a normal process would be on your computer. So like different processes, except they are incredibly fast at context switching and really secure. And so the problem is that like, ideally you don't want to have separate processes, you know, for to spin up a copy of V8. Ideally you just have isolates, V8 isolates being shared. So you're not actually having to spin up a copy of, you have one copy of V8 and every Node.js thread is getting a V8 isolate instead. But that the, the implication there is that you need to have an underlying copy of V8 that is centrally orchestrating the operating system. And because we're running this in a browser, that is true. Because every browser has, whether in, in, in Chrome, it's isolates and uh, SpiderMonkey, it's something else and et cetera. But that's the general idea is that there's already a JavaScript engine, a JavaScript and WebAssembly engine in your browser. And so web containers actually utilize that instead of having to drag along a whole nother JavaScript engine like V8 or whatever have you. So every time you spin up a Node.js process, you're not having to spin up the V8 parts of it. You're just spinning up, you know, a lot of the internal bindings and like, you know, the different like uh, packages you're accessing, like HTTP or FS or whatever have you, right? Does that, I, I, that might be, I, I don't know if I did a good job explaining that, but does that kind of, kind of, kind of make sense? Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, it's hitting the edge of my knowledge, but, but yeah, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's starting to make sense. It, it kind of makes me wonder like how WebAssembly is, is, is something that a lot of web developers haven't even heard of. I certainly hadn't heard of it until like a few months back. So how do you find people? for a team like Stackblitz, you're saying that the, the team's growing. What, what is your process for hiring people for something like that? It, it seems like it would be a nightmare. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, that, that is such a good question. It's actually, that is like, that's one of the best questions. That is the question, right? Is, you know, and because the, the thing is, is like, with what we're trying to do, there is no prior art, right? So when, so when you're working on stuff, that's not just kind of like, hey, let's glue together this kind of AWS API to this thing. And like, we're going to make a better developer experience with that. And that's our product offering. Like with that, there's like a lot of the candidate pools, like there, there is a candidate pool, right? But when you're talking about, hey, let's do a thing that like literally all the experts say is impossible that we've talked to, right? What, what you really actually have to find are people that the key qualification is that 
they're suckers for a good challenge and, and they love, and they love learning and they, and, they, and, and they're not afraid of heights. Right. And so the, the person that we actually, uh, that actually came into the company that led this project, his name's Dominic Elm. And he's like, and he's pulled in a, a, a handful of other folks now that, that work on this as well, like Sam and Quentin, a handful of other folks. But, you know, when, when Dom, so you kind of understand the mindset, right, of, of the folks that are working on this thing, Dom is, is just a great example because he is like, he, right now he's training for this like, you know, bicycle, this cycling race in Germany. And this, he does this for fun, Right. But he is training with this person who was, for, you know, in the Olympics before, just for fun. They go out, you 